Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lauren, and you're listening to The Greener Alternative, a podcast about the environmental impact of single-use status quo and the search for sustainable products disrupting everyday industries. Picture this. It's 7 p.m. on a weeknight. You're beat from a long day. You open the fridge and, ugh, leftovers. And inevitably, the age-old question pops in your head, should we just order in? If this scenario sounds familiar, you're not alone. In the U.S., revenue for the online delivery segment is expected to reach $97 billion by 2024, with the pandemic greatly accelerating demand for takeout. According to MarketWatch, the top four U.S. delivery apps saw revenue collectively rise $3 billion in the second and third quarters of 2020. But the more we order takeout, the more our waste increases. While seemingly sustainable options like compostable containers have hit the market, an ideal system would be cyclical or with reusable containers. And we found just the person to talk to to help us understand how that all could come to life. I'm happy to introduce our next guest, Maya Techley, the co-founder of Dispatch Goods, a company that makes reusable to-go containers for when you order takeout from your favorite restaurants in the Bay Area. Maya, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Before we dive into how Dispatch Goods is the greener alternative to restaurant to-go, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about what Dispatch Goods is? Sure. I'm Maya. I would say that I'm newer to the sustainability space, but I've been a lifelong environmentalist when it comes to being a consumer. I was at Caviar that was a part of DoorDash. And so my vantage point was from the restaurant industry. And I feel like as that industry grows, so does our waste problem. And that's where I met my co-founder, Lindsay, who was tackling this problem. And so high level dispatch goods, we're trying to make reuse easy and delightful for customers and businesses, starting with takeout containers. But we see you know, ourselves evolving to be any sort of food container or any container that enters people's homes you know, eventually. But obviously the takeout business is large enough to tackle on its own. So that's kind of where we're starting. Can you talk to us about the actual dispatch goods experience? I'm assuming as a customer, you order a dish from a restaurant and you can opt into receiving it in a dispatch goods container for just like a dollar or two more. And then they receive the food, finish their meal. What happens after that? We actually bring it it all back to a centralized facility where we sort and dishwash. So we do all of the dishwashing as well. And how do you guys know when the containers are ready to be picked up? The QR code links to our collection site. And so people kind of just let us know when they are ready for us to collect and then they get notified based on their address, what their collection day is similar to the recycling. So that people, different people, depending on their neighborhood, have a different dispatch goods day. And then we do collections and yeah, we have a centralized facility and that allows us to kind of sort process and dishwash all at once. I'm, I'm very curious about how you collaborate with the restaurants to do like forecasting and your inventory management, because I can imagine that like, you know, you have a certain amount of containers and you have to allocate them accordingly to the different restaurants and it's all reliant on everybody giving, you know, the containers back. My like supply chain bells are ringing where I'm like, oh my God, the inventory management. That is um, something that we are custom building because there are plenty of inventory management tools out there, but it's really for one one direction and that doesn't account for the circularity and the timing that that you have to take into consideration for how things 
come back to us. And so, yeah, we're building that out custom. It's being custom built by our team of amazingly talented data architects, as well as logistics and operations wizards. I know we are building out a really sophisticated inventory tool that I think could help more of the circular economy and, you know, forecasting and all that you nail on the head for sure. It's what keeps me up at night from time to time. <laughs> do you know how many plastic containers roughly you've, you've kept out of the trash to date? We do. I do. It's definitely over 150,000 because we just surpassed that wow. benchmark. I think we're getting pretty close to 175, 175,000 at this point, but definitely over 150,000. That's incredible. Congratulations. This might be obvious, but could you shed a light on why traditional takeout isn't so great? Sure. I feel like anyone that's listening to this, we don't have to talk about why plastic's bad, right? It's a forever material, and especially in to-go, the average person uses it for about 12 minutes. So creating something to be used as a single-use item that exists forever doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I do feel like the other to-go containers kind of fall into that same bucket of if it's being used for an average of 12 minutes, why is it sucking up so many resources? Even compostables, those materials have to be grown somewhere and they have to be created somewhere. And they use an immense amount of water in the manufacturing process and then shipping usually across the world to get to the consumer's hands. And then the end of life is better than, than plastic, but it's still kind of bad. Styrofoam, I'm not even going to go down there because styrofoam's terrible, but you know, it's just a lot of shades of bad for single use. I feel like a lot of times with climate change and climate activism, there's just doom and gloom, but a lot of it is just like, well, yeah, that's the, all that has been available. You know, there's not an alternative with the growing industry. If there were a viable reusable system, I do believe people would have opted in for it because it's, it's a good alternative. Speaking of alternatives, I would love to talk about compostable containers. I'm putting air quotes around compostable. The word compostable can be tricky. Yeah, there's not a ton of regulation when it comes to what can and cannot be considered compostable. And what I mean is like a lot of the compostable materials break down eventually. They break down, you know, in a shorter time frame than plastics, but it's still not great. And some actually contain chemicals and liners that are not good for people. It's also not good for the environment. And so, yeah, there's certain quote unquote compostable containers that municipal composting facilities won't accept and just infill, but sorting through that is, is a pain. And so like states like Oregon have actually said they won't take compostable food to go containers because it actually degrades the quality of their of their municipal compost. They can't sell it back to farmers and they can't use it. So potentially cynical question. Yes. We know the plastic's bad. We know that compostable doesn't sound great either. Recyclable is kind of finicky. It's at the end of the day, all single use and that container gets thrown away and it might, but probably won't get repurposed into a new material. So as a consumer, if a reusable container in dispatch goods is not available to me, yeah. should I really care if I get a plastic container or a compostable one? It kind of sounds like they're both not great options. Yeah, there are good compostable alternatives. They're a little bit more expensive, but like the plant fiber ones are better for end of life. If you have municipal composting, understanding what can go in there is probably your best bet. If it's not the compostable containers, then go for plastic because polypropylene can actually be recycled. A harder plastic is actually better because it has a higher chance of being 
processed properly. Got it. So least ideal plastic that can be recycled, more ideal compostable containers that are accepted at your local municipal composting centers. Best scenario, get your favorite restaurant to use dispatch goods. Yeah, facilitate, you know, you know, hi Pepper, facilitate better systems or legislation, passing regulations that are like the stepping stone to a full reusable system. And those are happening all over the country. There's a lot in California right now. People are wisening up (laughs) to the facade of compostables and just really understanding more about end of life for a lot of the materials that we use in our homes. All right, let's talk restaurants. I want to shed some light on the financial implications of restaurants going a greener route. We've discussed that reusable is a much better option for the consumer, but there has to be two sides of this coin, right? Getting takeout in reusable containers only works if the restaurant offers that option. So to me, it seems that being greener might be a little bit more expensive or else every restaurant would be doing it. I know restaurants are notorious for having a pretty short financial runway, and and I'm not a restaurateur, I'm not in the industry, but I would assume that investing in these Tupperware-style containers is more expensive than the plastic or compostable ones they're currently purchasing. So how does dispatch goods play into that? Yeah, it, that's it's you are your assumptions are are correct. Restaurant margins are razor thin. They are making decisions based on what's the most cost-effective solution. And, I will say one of the things that we have going for us is that consumers are voting with their dollars. And so we've been able to prove that we can drive meaningful business. And so in the same way that they spend on marketing, restaurant owners are making decisions to invest a little bit more in a better material because they know it's going to bring them ROI in the form of repeat customers, additional customers higher frequency of their customers. And so that's been what we've seen across the board, which is really, really exciting. That being said, we've noticed that the larger concern is operations complexity. You know, having two types of containers is actually really complicated for a restaurant. So making it financially enticing to swap out their whole suite of containers has actually been like what has been helpful in understanding their financial flexibility with that has been what we've kind of worked on. Would you be willing to share, is that the biggest hesitation you get from the owners of the restaurant? Yeah, I would say operational complexity. Take everything in this, these past 18 months in the restaurant industry with a grain of salt. Uh, we haven't made huge sweeping generalizations, understanding that we are operating in a uh, as the kids say, uncertain times in the pandemic, making it really, really hard to say, oh, this is normal operating. But in general, operational complexity has been kind of the biggest pushback. I think that one of my misconceptions was completely wrong is that they don't feel eco guilt. They feel immense amount of eco guilt. They see how much leaves their their restaurants in single use, even like not super big environmentalists. Restaurant owners are like, yeah, this sucks. Presenting their hard work in something that gets thrown away is, isn't the best feeling. And so being able to improve that presentation for the at-home consumer is actually really exciting for a lot of chefs and a lot of restaurant owners. It mimics more closely what the dine-in experience is. And I think that that actually holds a lot of weight as well. Like people don't love eating out of plastic. People don't like waste. And so we can beat single use on just the dining experience alone. It's just a nicer experience. And again, I have yet to hear someone like really stand for trash. They're like, (laughs) it's like 
there's no one that's been like, I really love how much waste comes with takeout. Yeah, no one. Uh, I've noticed that the conversation around sustainability has become a bit lighter in tone and, and also more inclusive than it was even just like five years ago. I, I personally love how this is evolving so drastically, especially in our lifetime, which I believe we're about the same age. Elder millennials. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like our approach is, you know, making it approachable and not perfect because this thing is messy. This solution will continue to be super complex and super collaborative, but it's like a messy, messy problem. And so if you don't find humor, that's how I deal with a lot of stuff is humor. And I think what some of the like previous climate activism has, I think, misstepped in a lot of ways is not approaching things with lightness and humor and just being like, let's be real about this. There's this big feeling like I have had enough adult life experience that I can have an opinion. I think the intersectionality of environmentalism is so apparent to everyone in our our generation and especially below that these social issues are so, so intrinsically tied together. And for so many decades, the climate activism has been kept separate and, you know, marginalized voices and indigenous voices have been kept kind of at bay and out of the conversation for whatever reason. Right now, I do think it's such a special, important time for people to recognize that these issues are tied and that it's important to be honest about that. And it feels cool because also it feels inclusive and anyone can have these conversations and talk about them and it's not perfect and that you know regardless of your perspective or your experience you don't have to have a phd to be to be part of the conversation and i think that that's been really really cool as someone who's newer in the space to feel my voice and my opinion matters and i can i can change things and i can and i can influence big things and that feels really awesome mm -hmm. there's a podcast i'm obsessed with called how to save a planet and they have an episode about intersectionality and sustainability and environmentalism ayana elizabeth johnson is one of the co-hosts and she's phenomenal uh and she actually co-edited a book called all we can save which um is yes. <laughs> have you read it yes yes <laughs> it's so good i mean talk about really embodying how i see the space and the newer voices I see her as like this modern voice that really sings and speaks to our generation. And, and yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> Everyone should read her book. <laughs> Everybody should read her book. Okay. So this is like an unofficial plug for All We Can Save, at Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson. Go get it. Hey, popping in post-interview, everybody should go read this book. All We Can Save is an anthology or a collection of poems and essays co-edited by Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson and Dr. Katherine K. Wilkinson. As we record this, the holidays are coming up, and just saying, it's a perfect gift for any environmentalist in your life. Also, the podcast I mentioned is called How to Save a Planet, which Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson co-hosts with Alex Bloomberg. There are two episodes in particular that tie together climate with other social issues that we'd recommend listening to. They're called We Can't Solve the Climate Crisis Without Gender Equality and Black Lives Matter in the Climate. We'll link them in the show notes below. All right, back to the interview. If I can't use dispatch goods for some reason, for example, I'm in Washington, D.C., so as far as I know, dispatch goods containers are not available out here. Um, what can I do in the moment that I'm ordering? Is there anything I can do? And is there any way for me to try and get dispatch goods out here? Yeah, I would say, and we are not, unfortunately, in Washington, D.C., but one of the most powerful tools that I've seen have immense um, impact is 
individual consumers have really strong voices. And there are a lot of direct consumer companies that could do a better job with their waste. They could make better decisions. And so voicing that concern to companies is a huge way to advocate for change. And I would say like, you know, like if that's grocery delivery or if it, that's meal kits or whatever it looks like, if you don't have municipal composting, then plastic is probably the the better choice or just understanding where your personal waste is going and then advocating for legislation. So one of the things that made me like cheer and celebrate recently was that Maine passed an extended producer responsibility law for the whole state. And that means that manufacturers are going to be held responsible for the waste that they create. And that means that they're going to have to pay for the recycling, for the landfill, and it will no longer be on the consumers. And so we're hoping that those kinds of big legislation moves by states will allow and open the door for better systems like Dispatch Goods to be the, a viable container option for a lot of these companies that they now have to think about their waste implications. I love that. That's a game changer. I hope it rolls out to other places really quickly. I agree. Also, go Maine. Like, I was like, wow, our course. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And here's the, the question you were alluding to earlier. On the greener alternative, we're striving for progress, not perfection. Yep. And a lot of these disruptive ideas and innovations, they rarely solve for 100% of the problem. I'm just curious if there's any shortcomings that you can think of with dispatch goods as it is today and how you might be working on improving that. Yeah, you know, I think every decision we make is intentional. And I think what's been what's a benefit and also like unfortunate about operating in the sustainability space is you're held to a very, very high standard. I'm glad we're held to such a high standard and I wish more companies were held to this high standard, but you know, we would love to have an all electric fleet but we don't have the funds to, to to do that now. But that's, you know, on the roadmap that we would love to be able to have. We purchase carbon emissions offsets for every mile that we deliver so that we can be carbon neutral in that space. And I would say that understanding our full end-to-end -end from like manufacturing to end of life, we're always looking at ways that we can improve. And I would say I'm really proud that we hold true to our values, you know, like our, our, I laugh because our, our warehouse, we have all upcycled and found chairs and tables and nothing is purchased new except for containers that then get reused, you know, hundreds and thousands of times. So we really try to kind of live, live by our, our values. And so there's always ways that we can improve. Well, we are in the final questions. These are some rapid fire questions. So we're looking for answers that are short and sweet, you know, a sentence or two. And there are three of them. The first one is in your industry. What are you trying to learn about next? I'm always trying to learn about waste misconceptions as well as like stay on top of the legislation that will work and to accelerate better solutions. What is one of the most creative, sustainable solutions that you've seen that gets you really excited? I actually have a few. One is golf courses that have been abandoned that are being turned into solar farms, I think is so rad and such a nice way to like honor the space. And the growing trend of native plant yards, native plant yards are gorgeous and beautiful. And I love that it's becoming like 
an agro trend. And then one final one is that there's this woman who has started giving a second life to wedding flowers to people in hospitals. And even if something gets reused one additional time, it's, it's lovely. And I think that's, that mindset is just beautiful. And she's, she's making a lot of people really happy. Okay, first of all, the Solar Farms repurposed golf course is awesome, but also (laughs) hilarious that you're loving the agriculture, you know, front yards, because I get like heated when I go back to the suburbs with my partner. I'm just like, Cameron, we will not have a front yard that is just grass and we waste all this water and I get so angry about it. So I'm really excited that you are also excited about that. Yeah, I mean, one of my best friends works at the um, Parks Conservancy, and so I've learned so much about it. But I also like people that have yards of clover look beautiful and like super lush, but it's so much better than just plain grass. So it's mm-hmm. like, even if you like that aesthetic, there are other ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And you um, don't have to mow your lawn. And you don't have to mow. And then you get all these butterflies and bees. And if you have a dog, your dog's going to love it. If you have a cat who goes outside, cat's going to love it. Like kids, I assume, are fine with like anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the kids care. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, if they're running around, I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, last question. What, and you kind of answered a little bit earlier, but what have you seen or heard recently that makes you really grateful or optimistic for the future? As someone who formerly worked in, in corporate America, I think corporations tying their business KPIs to sustainability goals has been a really really wonderful thing for me to see when they are tying it to their their bottom line to their to their growth that to me is actually holding themselves accountable I and mean, it's big companies too which i find to be really really exciting and then you know legislation like what Maine's doing that's like been really exciting for me to see actually happen and has been kind of like a, i was like oh i hope that one day and like to have it pass to this year feels like we're on the right track and that's exciting how can we get people to recommend more restaurants to you guys? DM your restaurant that you want them to partner with Dispatch Goods and then let us know either in our DMs on Instagram or you can send, I'm going to boldly say you can send me an email, Maya, M-A-I-A at dispatchgoods.com. And before we sign off, can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about Dispatch Goods? Of course. Dispatchgoods.com is our website. I would encourage you to follow us. If you don't live in the Bay Area, follow us on Instagram, dispatch underscore goods. We do a lot of content around environmentalism and just better, better solutions. So very in line with this podcast. I would say that our Instagram is like super, super friendly to anyone that's even not in the in the area. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit the subscribe button to The Greener Alternative, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or know of a company you want us to interview, send us a note at The Greener Alternative on Instagram or at greeneralternativepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to learn more about today's episode, visit our website at thegreeneralternative.com. Until next time. <laughs>